0: Welcome to The Millennial Way. Real millennials, real success. This is how they did it. Tailoring the next generation of leaders. I'm proud to be your host, Chase Coleman. Y'all, what is up? I'm your host, Chase Coleman, and welcome back to another episode of The Millennial Way. It is a lovely, lovely winning Wednesday today. And I'm I'm feeling great, y'all. I'm not even going to lie. Um, I'm actually going back home to see my family tomorrow on Thursday, hang out with them, quarantine for a little bit. I actually have zero plans to go out and see many people. I mean, I actually lied. I have a couple plans to see some of my close friends, my buddy, Zach, my buddy, Gunner, uh, my boy, Evan Coleman. Um, But in in reality, I just want to go home to see my family. It's been far too long and quarantining out there for a little while won't be too bad. And, you know, I had to have a conversation with my mom to tell her that I wasn't feeling comfortable abiding by the Georgia rules, AKA going out to bars, going out to clubs, going out to dinner and stuff of that sort. Because frankly, I just, I can't get sick. I, I do this podcast weekly. You guys know this. I can't lose my voice. I can't afford that. Um, So I, I say all that to just let you guys know, I know that some states are opening up. Just stay safe. Be smart. Um, I personally canceled out all of t- the 2020 summer for myself. So I have no expectations for myself to, travel or party or do anything of that sort. And, you know, I hope, I, I truly hope that some of you guys are doing the same, but I'm never going to fault you for the decision that you make because we all live our own lives. But one thing I did want to mention that I've been just reading up on the news a lot recently is the boycott against Facebook. And I find it so interesting because I'm looking at different platforms like Reddit, Twitter, Snapchat, um I mean, you name it, right? There's there's millions of, of a lot of social media platforms out there, but a lot of them have made a stance about the whole Black Lives Matter aspect of what's going on in our country today. And Facebook has not said anything about that. They actually said that they're not going to pull down targeted ads when it comes down to you know different campaigns, whether it's from the Trump campaign, the Biden campaign, whatever. And I found it very interesting to see that a lot of companies, I, I read earlier this morning that over 300 companies have signed this not even signed a boycott, but have pulled all of their paid social meet or paid social marketing off of Facebook, which I find very interesting because when I think about it from a business lens, right? Let's think from Facebook's lens. They make all of their money off of advertising. I would argue like ninety percent of their money comes from advertising and advertisers. How are you going to lose three hundred companies, big name companies like a Starbucks, for example, who spend millions of dollars with you to then? make sure that you're just making making money off of these campaigns. These campaigns don't have as much money as all these businesses in the United States do. It's just the truth of the matter. So from a business lens, right? I'm not even looking at it from a moral perspective because I have a lot of problems with it morally, but from a straight business perspective, all of their analysts right now are saying, Oh, we don't expect to take a huge hit. We think it'll only last for a month. Even losing 300 companies isn't going to hurt our business that much. That is a straight up lie. Like, you can't tell me that 300 big name brands or let's call it 100 of the 300 brands or big name brands are taking all of their money away from you guys right now. And that's not hurting your business. That's like Starbucks. I'm just using them as an example right now, saying that closing all of their cafes during COVID didn't hurt their business at all and that they'd be fine. How ridiculous does that sound? We don't need consumers. You know what? You guys don't even need to come. We're doing fine. We have just as much, just enough money in the bank account to make it through for the next six months. That is a straight up lie. So my question for Facebook is, what does your numbers look like when all of these companies stop actually paying you guys? And my reason for bringing that up is because I find it very interesting. I think one, from a, a business standpoint, it's also showing you're speaking not only with your words but with action, right? If they don't, these companies don't agree with you. Why would you partner with them? And then the other aspect of that is like. I think about my podcast, The Standing in Solidarity. And I called, I had a lot of call to action towards company, corporate companies and saying, we've heard you, but now you got to start doing something. And pulling it, pulling away your dollars is just as good as putting your dollars into something. And I'm just really intrigued to see how this continues to trickle in terms of like timing for Facebook. So that's something that I'm going to keep, be keeping my eye on. I've been watching a lot of the business news right now. One thing that I'm very interested in is just how businesses are responding, not only to covid not only to black lives matter, but both in conjunction. And I think this is a great kind of break from that. And the reason that I say this is a great break is because we have Tyler Hayes, my good friend from Stetson university coming on today. And Tyler's awesome guys. Tyler and I met while we were in college, um, He's from Atlanta. I'm from Atlanta. Not a lot of people from Atlanta went to Stetson. And that was kind of our common ground and how we met. And then we became good friends just moving forward from there. We were in different fraternities, but it didn't really matter at the end of the day. We went to a small school and he was a great guy. So we became friends. And Tyler works actually on a vineyard out in Northern California. I'm gonna let him talk a little bit about it more. But Tyler's got a very interesting journey on how he actually got introduced and started in wine. You guys know I'm a big wine fan. I couldn't, like, I would have been like remiss if I would have left Tyler off of the show because I love wine. Tyler is the Millennial Ways expert when it comes to wine and we'll continue to bring him on. But guys, I am super excited to have Tyler here today to tell us about his journey and how he got interested in wine. And I hope that you guys can enjoy this episode as much as I did because Tyler's a great person. He's got some great insights and his journey is very, very interesting. So enough of me ranting. Let's get into this. And y'all, as I mentioned, I have one of my good friends from Stetson. I mean, once I found out this man was from Atlanta, I told y'all this, he is the shit. I got my man, Tyler Hayes, who is here, and we are switching it up today. We're talking about wine, one of my favorite topics, one of my favorite drinks. I was just telling Tyler that I have a Pinot Grigio right next to me. That's why I'm drinking white wine tonight, y'all. But Tyler, thank you so much for joining us today. We're so happy to have you here. Oh yeah, man. It's good to be on. Thanks. I've been a long time fan. Oh, I appreciate that. I, I can't, I gotta say this. I really appreciate your Instagrams that you send me and the Snapchats when you're just like in the winery, grinding it out. And you're like listening <laughs> to the millennial way. I'm like, damn, this guy, my guy, my guy. <laughs> but that leads me into my first question, Tyler, what got you interested in wine? Cause I think we all have different journeys when it comes to wine, but like for you working in wine, how have you, you know, ever since graduating at Stetson in, in December of 2015, uh, right well, before I graduated in May of 2016, um, how have you gone from, you know, graduating at Stetson to where you're at today?
1: Uh, well, it all kind of started while I was at Stetson, actually. Uh, Stetson played an interesting role in it, but like everyone else's journey, I mean, you know, it, it kind of has always been happening. I don't know. There's so many things that have happened in my life that have kind of maybe predisposed me to get to this point. So it's more than just like I don't know, one day, I guess. But oh, um, yeah, for sure. So a cl- I don't know if there's such thing as a cliff notes version, but
0: yeah, uh, the, cliff notes version of it.
1: But yeah, uh, I, I worked in a liquor store every uh, vacation. That every chance that I got when I was back home for more than a week, I was working and uh worked in this liquor store which had this beautiful tasting room attached to it um so these reps would come in and host tastings and they would uh yeah, they were all excellent salespeople, so they are telling these great stories about how it truly tied into the land and you got to try wine and it wasn't actually just wine it was tequila whiskey um beer everything was was all yeah really um really coming into uh, into its own because all this uh, the craft beer is kind of has been exploding uh, whiskeys and everything has just been becoming so much more high quality so all these salespeople are passionate about all that Um, and of course I was at Stetson you probably met me at a party like (laughs) everyone else (laughs) and we're all drinking uh, (laughs) just beer or uh, like you know $11 for a gallon tequila Or (laughs) just whatever. I think that was high quality quality. in the least bit. No, high quality was not something we talked about or even knew existed. Um, So, this was truly kind of a mind blowing experience for me because I was this guy poured me a tequila that I had never uh, even thought knew to ask about. Uh, And he, he, no joke, poured like half a glass of it and was like, hey, just take a sip of it. I'm like, are you kidding? This is going to be awful. So, I just took a sip. (laughs) And sure enough, it was the smoothest thing I've ever had. So it just blew my mind that there was a higher quality tier to the things that we had been enjoying. Uh, yeah, and, and that burned this the, the of to my throat. throat. <laughs> exactly. And it was just so smooth and possibly just drinkable, truly dangerous. But, uh, but wine yeah. was something that I just knew nothing about going into it and um this opportunity at work i didn't really know it was an opportunity at work i was just kind of stocking shelves and you know uh helping people find where the uh the i guess no one was drinking the seltzers yet but uh, (laughs) people were always asking for an angry orchard i remember that (laughs) we kept maybe 12 boxes in the back and uh, (laughs) uh, but mostly it was all wine all spirits um just really nice stuff that i just was able to enjoy as part of my job and awesome. uh, my boss encouraged us to to drink during our lunch break uh to always spit when you're on the clock so um, yeah, yeah don't, don't drink too much but um cool. anyways i i can get going on too much of a little uh little bit no you're
0: back. good you're good keep going um, keep going I, I think this is super interesting tyler yeah. like and also like real quickly don't worry about like stumbling ums anything like that like that's what I got a producer for and we go back and we cut shit up slice and dice so we're good to go brother keep going I think this is super interesting because I think and seriously I your whole everyone has their own journey on how they get interested in something right whether it's sports whether it's the food and beverage industry whether it's wine you know like anything in the world and I got super interested in coffee and that's what kind of I think we have very similar journeys because when I think about my journey of how I got into the coffee industry itself, I grew up and my sister was a barista at Starbucks and Mm -hmm. she's 10 years older than me. So as a five and six year old, I was going and getting little caramel frappuccinos, you know, like not even smaller than a tall, but just had a crap ton of whipped cream, but it got me at least like introduced to, to coffee. And then when I was growing up, I was like, you know, that seems like a pretty good high school job. And then ended up working at Starbucks after, you know, interviewing there a million times, it feels like. And then (laughs) when I was there, I would try so many different things. Like my manager would tell us like, Hey, go mark that out. Like, and meaning just go make yourself a free drink and like, try something new, try it with hazelnut in it, try it with the almond, try it with like, we need to try these if we want to be knowledgeable about them. And if you're curious about it, try as much as you want. And we used to make like, some very unique drinks in the, in the store. But that just kind of like, you know, all of that aside, I think about the fact that that was my introduction to coffee. And then I went to work in coffee. You know what I mean? From like a corporate perspective. And when I got into it from there, like I was still able to keep just like those salesmen, the same romance and the same love around coffee, because I had been attached to it for so long because it was my job. And I was, I'm not going to say forced because I wanted to try the different ones and see why people came in and got a doppio macchiato or why people came in and got a latte versus a, you know, just a regular coffee. You know what I'm saying? And you get very curious about it. And then you become so curious that it becomes your career for a little while. At least for me, it was just a little while until I switched over into fashion, but you're still in wine. And I think it's fantastic because the longer you're in the industry, the more knowledge you have. And then also.
1: Well, and just how, how coffee kind of did it for you and how you, by your environment and everything, you were able to get into coffee, you know? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. it's crazy.
0: Well, exactly. And I think the, the thing about that is that I didn't know that you could go so deep in coffee, you know, and it's unreal. So I, you know, at the surface level, you know, that you could get your Pike Place Roast, or I'm sorry, not even that you get your dark roast, your blonde roast, or you could just go get your cup of joe, right? And you get into further levels from there and it gets like deeper and deeper and deeper. And it's like a tree where you just see one thing above the surface, but there's so many roots at the bottom of it. And it just branches off in so many different ways. And I think wine and, and your journey is very similar to that, right? And you talked about how you worked at, you know, the liquor store when you were in high, or not in high school, in college. And your boss encouraged you to drink it. Excuse me. Your boss was encouraging you guys to drink. And you tell me, hold on one second. You know, my coffee journey has taken me to understand that there's deeper and deeper levels when it comes down to understanding how coffee tastes, what different flavor notes come out of coffee, right? Like when I think about different coffees that I even drink now, I'm like, oh, that one has like a little bit of a citrus taste to it, or it's a little acidic. Or that one's a little bit more earthy or smoky or whatever it may be. And they could be within the same roast spectrum as well. And people look at me, they're like, you're such a coffee schnob. And I'm like, come on, man. Like, I just worked in it. So I get it. Yeah,
1: but why but, can't you like coffee? What's wrong with liking coffee? No.
0: Exactly. I enjoy like, you know, it's funny. Like I, I say, I enjoy the finer things. But at the same mm-hmm. time, I'm not spending any more money when it comes down to it. Because I, I go to restaurants, like some of the best Asian restaurants that I eat at are in the international district, and they are cheap. They're cheaper than going to McDonald's. And I'm like, every time I, if I go to McDonald's, I'm spending $15. And I'm like, how the hell am I spending $15? <laughs> I came here to spend 5 $7. Dollars. You know what I mean? Exactly. there's so many other restaurants that do the same thing. And you can okay. also find great food, great drinks, great wine for a cheaper price. But this kind of leads into my next question for you is, when you were coming out of college, knowing that you were very interested in wine, how did you get into the industry and how did you kind of break into getting a job and, and really figuring well, out that that was what you wanted to do?
1: Well, um, it's funny that you mentioned the word job with that, because uh, this kid who sat behind me in marketing uh, was just talking about his family's vineyard. He uh, He lived in South Australia and his family has had a vineyard since his grandfather moved from Italy to Australia and you know fought in the army and used that money to buy his land and you know just like crazy old school uh just super italian family uh but just super warm and welcoming he actually told me about backpacking which is uh this kind of foreign concept to us where, where you just live out of a backpack and travel in australia new zealand um it's something that apparently other countries encourage you to do, but yeah. in the U.S., <laughs> we're encouraged for internships and <laughs> just go like work, work, work. Capitalism, um, maybe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Capitalism uh, just really kind of pushes you towards ultimately having a job. And mm-hmm. uh, hopefully most things in life push you towards having some kind of employment <laughs> or means to sustain like your life. Um but I was working and traveling with all these uh, like Germans, uh, French, um, just people from all over the place that I just would have never come in contact with when I went to. Uh, I guess I skipped ahead of myself. So no, that's in so cool, in, um, in marketing class, I was just thinking about it. It's like whoa, like you just wait, where do you stay? It's like you just kind of figure it out. <laughs> uh, we, had, we they'd hire a few uh, backpackers to come and work on the vineyard from time to time. Uh, when they needed the help during harvest, et cetera. And like, so how do you do this? So I just Googled it, like everything else. And turns out there's a working holiday visa for Australia um, and a few other similar countries where you can go, as long as you're under the age of, I think it was 31, um, and you can just go uh, live in their country for a year. Uh, But you also have the unique capacity to hold a job. So you can get an actual, open a bank account, um, set up a uh, direct deposit. You can work for as mo- legitimate of an employer as you want or as illegitimate yeah. of an employer as you want. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. uh, you can you, you kind of pay into taxes, et cetera. So um, it turns out it's also really easy to apply. I think the visa cost me uh, maybe 200 bucks, but I was like, all right, like, let's do it. Um, and New Zealand does the same so thing. and And their visa was free for Americans. So, um, that actually costs you nothing besides the plane ticket over um, <laughs> and you basically just have to prove that you have enough money to not be homeless in their country. Uh, they don't want you to come over mm-hmm. and just be like living on the streets, <laughs> you know, or just uh and probably no criminal records or anything, but um you know they if you can come over, they want you to come and do these jobs that people aren't necessarily that stoked to do which is a lot of kind of blue collar labor uh, yeah. which turns out that's a vineyard uh i didn't there was no connection in my mind that the, the grapes had come from an actual farm you know oh, yeah. like i was so far <laughs> removed from that concept of a farm that i'd never even occurred to me before kind of stepping foot on the on the property that it was just like truly a farm <laughs> And I'm like what? Oh my gosh! Well, I was like, when you think about it, like growing yeah. up
0: in the suburbs of a city, right? Like okay. you grew up around buildings and pizzerias and you know exactly. pop shots shops, as well as chain restaurants. Mm-hmm. And you got Zaxby's, mm-hmm. you got Chick fil A everywhere, and that's where chickens come from. So yeah, exactly. But you're so <laughs> far away from farms that in your in the world that we grew up in, right? Unless you yeah. were driving down to you know from Atlanta down to Stetson, and you were seeing the, mm-hmm. the cotton fields and the different farms on the left and right. You exactly. still, it still doesn't even register in your head that yet that people actually live that life.
1: <laughs> but then also to go and live the life as well, I found to be just like, totally like, whoa, wait a second. <laughs> this oh, yeah. is different from most things. So that in and of itself was such a, a new and maybe refreshing experience. Um That really, I don't know, was, was so vastly different than anything I'd experienced at Setson or yeah. at home or anywhere like. Uh, it, it was pretty cool to get that much more in touch with with Earth and everything. Um, Absolutely, to a certain extent, like that's that's what you're doing. Um, so that well, was yeah. a, so you a, spent
0: a year out in, in mm-hmm. Australia and New Zealand just backpacking, working on vineyards, yeah. and really gaining the experience of, I mean, being yeah. you know ground in level, though, yeah. inevitably with the grapes yeah. and working with the wines to really have that same yeah. call it the same romance that the, that the salesman had when they were coming in to talk with you, right?
1: Yeah, so it actually didn't work out for me to work um full time on the in Australia for a vineyard. Yeah. But uh, through a family connection, I actually found this guy who was a master of wine, who's like a high level kind of psalm, uh, but studies the academic side of wine. Um, mm-hmm. And he needed an assistant. And I was like, Oh, I know how to do Excel and <laughs> all those things. Uh, so I actually lived and worked with him for about five or six months in, in, the middle of uh, Sydney. Uh, wow. So I got to live there and be kind of just in a whole nother cultural uh, different area in uh, in Australia. And, and that all kind of happened just based off of I, I bought a ticket, had no idea what I was going to land into. I had a couple phone numbers for people I'd never met before. And I booked a week in one hostel in downtown Sydney. I was like, let's just figure it out. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I didn't have a phone. Like once I got there, I'm, I guess I could have Facebook messaged the guy, but you know, uh, still <laughs> like I'm pretty much just kind of just, all right, what do I do now gonna
0: embark on this? And take, we're just going to grab the bull by the horns yeah. and we're going to okay. do this. And I truly I, just I commend you, honestly, because that type of, to take that type of leap, right? Like some people look at me and they're like, oh, for you to move from Florida to, to Seattle mm-hmm. so quickly right after graduation, I'm like, you all have no idea, right? Like you, for example, went from Atlanta, living in Atlanta, went down to Florida. Uh, we graduated around the same time and were classmates, all that fun stuff. And then you went from Florida to freaking Australia. That's the other side of the globe. Like if y'all are listening to this, look at a map and see how far Australia is, right? No,
1: better and- yet, look up a, look up a flight. Uh, yeah, exa- look up a even flight better. from even atlanta better. to uh to sydney <laughs> i mean i know it's like 90 i don't
0: know 12 hours from here so it's got to be what like 16 mm-hmm. 17 hours from atlanta yeah, or something it's, like cl- that.
1: it's close to 24 hours on a plane <laughs> that's ridiculous you're time <laughs>
0: traveling when you come back home
1: it's, like, on, was, it's a time warning I,
0: I was looking at flight uh to australia because i was cur- like living on the west coast it's easier oh. to get out there all that fun stuff Exactly. And I was like, damn, if I leave at 9 a.m. from Seattle time, I'm gonna land at like 10 a.m. the next day in Australia. But the, when I'm coming back, if I leave at like 9 a.m. you know <laughs> Australia time, I'm landing at like 7 a.m. the same day. I'm going back two hours. Like this is they got me messed up. They got me exactly. messed up. Exactly. But that but I, I that even speaks to another point that I would say I commend you for is the fact that you were not only willing to get up, go live out of a backpack and move to Sydney or to, I'm sorry, not Sydney, but backpack across Australia and New Zealand. But your family was so far and on such a different time zone that I'm sure it was almost impossible for you guys to, to speak, right? Like it it had to be almost night and day with the time change.
1: It was definitely pretty, pretty tough, but I found that um, the time difference was just enough to where I could kind of be on my way either to bed when everyone's kind of waking up um okay. so it didn't it didn't just totally miss you know there was always yeah. some time where someone would have some free time and um and certain people would kind of reach out and sometimes i'd respond and you know sometimes it would catch up um yeah. at the perfect time so it was really really good that way i found uh, myself actually my phone plan of all things had unlimited calling to the u.s uh so that was one of the things like okay i'll take that um you know um, so that was pretty pretty sweet being able to just call whenever and not oh, have yeah. it be an issue um that made it very accessible which it's amazing with all this technology everyone's the most connected and available they've ever been you know i couldn't imagine having to write a letter uh <laughs> and that was all you had cuz <laughs> writing a letter from australia and then being like sending it to someone in in london or something <laughs> like, it would take months back to you exactly would be it'd be yeah, months yeah. for one message
0: dude it, yeah you'd be able to get like three things across yeah. and me and that was it i can't wait to see you right because that's that's <laughs> the next time you're probably going to hear from them
1: yeah but let's I'm, let's hope it, that you're a better writer you know to to that.
0: <laughs> i feel like so we've I'm,
1: definitely become a little less Maybe linguistically gifted, maybe. <laughs> because I, I can't even
0: spell nowadays without autocorrect. Same, so same. You're preaching to the choir, my friend. Uh, but I'm I'm curious to hear. So, when you were leaving Australia and you were coming back to the states, I think I I recall you moved to the Bay Area, right? Or you moved to yeah. California and you were working there. How did how was that transition? How did you make that work? Like. Um, Was that another family? Like, did you have like a connection that lived out there? Did you meet someone while you were in Australia? Like, how did that end up working out for you? So
1: right before I came back, I was uh, picking grapes in New Zealand uh, for a a winery down there. And uh, so then I just sold my, I was living in a van. So I sold the van. I was like, got to get out of here because I gotta make it back for my little brother's graduation. My mom made it very clear that we should all be there. And <laughs> like, why wouldn't I want to be there, you know? Uh, I was I was definitely ready to be back um, and just I'd get back to the United States for sure. Um, yeah, it made sense. You know, it had definitely been a while. Um, so we flew back uh, to Atlanta, then um, came out. Uh, my brother graduated from Colorado. So we flew into to Denver. And we uh, went out to Boulder, and then we did a family road trip across the, Uni- the rest of the western United States. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. And we ended up visiting my mom's second cousin in Healdsburg, California. Uh, so we just kind of ended right there. And just looking around, this is, reminds me so much of where the grape-growing regions that I visited in Australia uh, and the, the warmer parts of New Zealand uh, and I just immediately i just, it just felt right to me, like what i'd been doing in the past year, uh, like this is where i I should be this is where all the wine is, so if I want to keep this wine thing going, like I probably should do that. so I sent a bunch of people some emails while I was just in the area, just seeing if I could get a job, no responses whatsoever, <laughs> and so I ended up going back to Atlanta uh, and was just kind of hanging out and then I went back to uh, the guy who owned the liquor store that I worked at in high school. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he he opened up a wine bar in Smyrna. And so I just went to a tasting just to catch up with him and say what was going on. Like, you're not gonna believe this crazy journey I've been on. I've <laughs> actually just started learning how to make wine. And he's like, Oh, that's awesome. You've got to come to this tasting we're doing tomorrow. There's this winery in, in Sonoma. So I went to the tasting and sure enough, this guy well, we started talking and he he got really excited that I'd been out there and in, into the the actually working and picking grapes yeah. and he's like well we have some spots in our winery i know uh, the winemaker had actually been talking that he needs more people to come help with vintage i was like well say no more like <laughs> I'll, I'll, can you give me his number like i'll i'll get it together and sure enough that was that uh, it really was a, a funny coincidence that i happened to be in the right place at the right time for that um...
0: And it also speaks to the fact that you were a little patient with it too, right? Like you guys went out to California, you met your mom's second cousin, you shot some people, some emails, you heard, you didn't hear back from them, which, excuse me, I'm learning is a very common factor when it comes to not only just like, you know, one job or corporate America, but it's with like everything, like you have to try at it just multiple times and then the right thing always ends up coming about. And it's like being there at the right time, at the right place, ends up getting you the job that you're looking for and the job that you actually ended up, didn't know that you were looking for, but that you needed. And I commend you for that. I think the fact that you were able to get in contact with them and also be able to continue to still stay consistent with it and still staying within the industry by going to the you know, your old job's uh, wine bar and also hanging out with them and then hanging out and then meeting these other people through it. That's, that's the perfect formula for an opportunity right there. My friends love me some wine, but I, and, and that brings me to my other point is just the fact that I commend you for what the fuck were we talking about real quickly? Oh, how you went back and were able to continue to stay within wine. Right. So you went out and you failed a little bit, right? And you saw it as a new opportunity to go back home, right? You went out to the West Coast, tried, and I found that as like a very common theme throughout just all careers is that we try, we fail a little bit, and then we come back even better, and we end up getting a much better job and a better more a more a better fit job for us, right? And you went back to Atlanta. You were like, you know, I'm gonna try this out. I'm gonna go to the, this new wine bar. I'm gonna go see back, go back and see my boy. We're gonna chat for a little bit. And the next thing you know, a new opportunity came about, right? And then you moved over to the to the Bay to work for this vineyard, uh, right? Yeah. So, you so I
1: work uh, currently for the same company, uh, for Foley Family Wines. Um, so they own uh, a lot of various uh, parts of the wine spe- industry spectrum. So from like very high end to like middle um, and not necessarily the low end. I hate to use that term but um there's yeah. definitely more the lower cost that end up being cost, e- cheaper cost effective today. uh wine <laughs> 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 which um yeah to be clear which is still within my uh my uh income bracket
0: <laughs> oh,
1: very I, much
0: so i can never turn down a, a 10 dollar bottle of wine exactly. right like it's always there are some wines, like the best thing that I love about wine is going to a restaurant and asking the waiter or waitress what their favorite wine is. And they actually show me a wine that's not the most expensive. Oh, yeah. that's, that's not showing a 200 bottle. They're like, you know what? This one that's $200, I'm sure it tastes great. But like this one bottle that's like 40, 50 bucks, it's just as like, it's much better than that, actually. And I would much rather drink that every night than I would, you know, this $200 okay. bottle. And I'm like,
1: or they suggest one that really goes like, oh, you ordered the uh, the steak, you could get this, but honestly, I would go with that. Uh, and you know, yeah. maybe it's not. Hopefully, it's not the most expensive one on the on the on the list. But you know, like, hey, I think oh, yeah. you'll really enjoy this one over this one, and here's why. Um, so,
0: so tell me this because you you mentioned that you guys have various types mm-hmm. of wines, right? And I'm I'm pretty sure that's how most vineyards are ran, right? They have like called a black label, a blue label, a green label, mm-hmm. um, all these different labels that kind of talk about the different tiers of wine. We'll call um, it. How many different how many different types of like wines do you guys have or how many like variations of the wines do you guys have? Is it, it's gotta be in a hundred. Oh yeah,
1: for sure. As far as varietals throughout this company, and we're talking 30 wineries. So each one with, uh, you know, anywhere from two offerings to 17, you know, uh, it gets, it gets pretty broad. Um, and but most places will do a reserve and then one that they make for distribution. Now, for distribution, okay. in order for the economics of winemaking to make sense, you've got to make volume. Um, so, yeah, um, sometimes that requires sourcing not necessarily lower quality grapes, but somewhere where you can get a lot of grapes to make a lot of wine. Um, mm-hmm. So whatever that looks like, depending on the wine that you're trying to make. Um, I totally forgot what I was gonna.
0: get, <laughs> no, 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 I get, I get exactly what you're saying because yeah. it's like, first off, I mean, speaking to the price, right? Like, when you have the the higher quality wines, we'll call it, and the more expensive wines, there's less of them, which is particularly why yeah. there's probably one why they're higher quality because there's not as many higher quality grapes in the um, world, yeah. and then two, that's definitely the the fact that like it takes probably more time, more more care, yeah. more labor that goes into that bottle of wine. But to your point to be a business and to actually continue to operate as a business, right. To have 30 wineries throughout the United States, you need to make millions of dollars. And the only way you're going to make millions of dollars is by mass distribution. And that means going into places like a Walgreens and going in and selling all of your different wines. And to your point, you need a crap ton of grapes and you might be having some of the best quality grapes that are on your vineyard, but you only can have so many grapes that are there and you're going to have to be able to outsource from other places, whether that be, within California, up in Washington, to Oregon, to Australia, right? Like wherever you could get them that are cost effective. And that's what gets them the money that they're able to make that in turn allows them to have 30 wineries, awesome people like Tyler on staff, and then also create some of the best wines that they have in the world. And that kind of goes into my next question for you, Tyler, is... Seriously, what's your what's your favorite type of wine and how did you kind of come up like even did you stumble upon it or was it like intentional that you tried it like super curious to hear that. Um, so
1: you. in Australia, I was actually had the, the chance to taste through um, most of the offerings in that were like widely distributed in Australia. But the guy I worked for was a wine writer. So his job was to review wines. So that meant that people were mailing him wine. I'd wake up in the morning, go to the front door, there'd be like a stack of boxes. And I say morning, I'd probably wake up like 11.30 and just go down and just grab. (laughs) That's morning for them. It was morning for me, so that's all that mattered. (laughs) Uh, And I would go and just bring in the boxes, open them up, stack them up, and enter them into the log. And then when he would get back from traveling, he's traveled a lot in China, um, a huge uh blooming wine market but um that's interesting um so he did a lot of work over there but uh so I would just enter the uh, the wines in the database so that way everything could pull up on his tasting system and when he showed up we were ready to go i'd line up 40 or 50 wines open them up <laughs> i do uh, 50 whites and 50 reds uh for this guy and we and oh, he wow. would just marathon taste through these things and it was so impressive <laughs> uh just seeing him do that because i was like oh you know this coming from college it'll be all right and he's like you're gonna want to spit i'm like oh yeah whatever (laughs) and it's like exactly oh man so he noticed as soon as i started spitting and also i had no idea that first date like first tasting what what to pick out what to focus on as far as like flavors go and he's like really just focus on what you know and try and relate it to things that you know and understand um so that was yeah. my first exposure to intentionally tasting and uh really trying to get to the bottom of what wine tasting and descriptors are all about um and mm-hmm. so that kind of brought me into the red big fruity Shirazes and uh, australia which is what australia is really known for and of course there's a lot of yellow tail 19 crimes like kind of the big volume oh, yeah. but those are for the price you pay pretty excellent um examples of some of the wines and the overall the gist of the industry in australia there's a lot of kind of more fruit forward wines you're not going to find any oaky no know oaky chardonnays um because there's just not that that's not their focus. Uh, that's kind of a, a uniquely American concept that um, someone mm-hmm. in the industry just decided we needed to just oak the shit out of these these chardonnays <laughs> and sauvignon blanc too. If it's white, oak it. Like, come on, we got this. Um, uh, <laughs> and it turns out that's a really expensive way to make wine. Um, so over time, that's kind of, I think, discouraged people from making more of as much of that. Um, I mean, yeah. uh, if people drink it, people will make it. So um, that's just <laughs> how it goes. But, yeah, no, no. but I, I got really onto like the big fruity forward. I'd say I got more interested in a concept. Uh, so with minimal okay. human intervention, uh, these more fruit forward wines was mostly what really caught my attention um, that these winemakers weren't, they all kind of said the same thing. Uh, we met a few winemakers with my time with Rob and they all were just, you know, really just letting the fruit speak for itself. Um, the French concept of terroir, um, which is the letting the dirt essentially speak for the, the flavor yeah. of the wine. And there's a huge part to do with that. And it's, it's pretty crazy <laughs> to get into like the details of, of how, and how small of a, of a, of a thing can impact so greatly that that final product of a wine you know there's oh, been yeah. days on that but um uh but the is more the idea has become my favorite uh, kind of wine uh so i'm trying not to mm-hmm. to pigeonhole myself too much but uh, i do love Pinot Noir Um uh, Pinot Noir has oh, been has favorite. been a, a really good uh, one because they're so versatile like uh in new zealand i was picking uh riesling uh, pinot noir uh and those are two grapes that can be so different depending on where on earth you get them yeah. from uh or even just where on the, the the side of the mountain that you get it from it's insane uh you can make a perfectly dry riesling or you can make the sugariest, sweetest most dessert riesling you've ever tasted in your entire life uh like it's that's, and that's
0: something th- th- i find that so interesting. you
1: know and it's, it's no the same I, I find that interesting because
0: well, your, so your entire like story kind of reminds me of my journey on tea. Mm-hmm. So when I started at Starbucks in corporate, I worked on the Tivana business, which I had no idea what the hell tea was besides like Lipton. You know what exactly. I mean? Like I go to McDonald's, get a sweet, sweet tea, and I'm sweet. happy for a dollar. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Like growing up in Georgia, I was like, we don't drink tea. I drink coffee and I drink sweet tea from Chick-fil-A, from McDonald's or from anywhere else that serves yeah. it, like the barbecue restaurant. But when I was working there, I actually met this guy, Chris McNitt, who was similar to a sommelier. sommelier, sommelier. sommelier? How do I say that? Sommelier yeah. um, within wine, where he was almost a tea expert. And he used to go through, and his job every day was to go through and taste the different teas and tell us, this one's good, this one's not good. We should try these flavors, we should try this and that. And I was so intrigued by it, and I wanted to be good at my job. So I was like, I got to know more about tea. So I became friends with him. And I became friends with him through, we we talked about sports, we had lunch, like there's a lot of other things that we had in common besides like me wanting to learn. Yeah, him, right. But as of my curiosity, he used to spend 45 minutes to an hour with me every day after work, and we would go through tea tastings. And he would tell me the same things. He would say, Oh, well, this one tastes like, you know, peppermint says spearmint, and this one tastes like licorice fruit. And this one has ginger. And I'd be like, I'm tasting grass, grass, <laughs> grass, grass, and grass. And he'd be like, Well, we'll try to try to figure out what you're tasting. And then I remember there was one that I tasted and it was like Triscuits. And I was like, this one tastes like Triscuits. And he was like, that's, that's closer. Yeah. You're getting there. You're getting there. And then after a month, I was so much better after two months, after six months, after a year, I was then able to pick out different teas and a lot better than, you know, somebody else who hasn't had as much tea experience. And that was, it was to be better. It was just because I was, I was super curious about it to know what these experts were even talking about. And for me, like, it was just so much fun, like being on that journey and truly learning it. And then learning the process of how tea is as well, because tea, similar to wine, comes from one plant, right? Like wine comes from a grape, tea comes from a tea plant. And when I think about it, I was like, but it's so versatile. There's so many different aspects of it. And I fell in love again, like you, with a process. And these, the way that they make oolongs is that it's so, there's so much human intervention between the tea leaf and how they, dry it or how they pan fire it or how they they roast it just in general and they they twist it up whether it's through these like crazy machines that they have that they have to do by hand by the way or they actually twist them up by hands and then when you see the tea leaf actually come to life right like so you see it it's like these little balls and then you see it come to life in the tea bag whatever you want to call it sachet filter bag and it blooms up and you're like holy crap and i was like that's the most beautiful thing to see and even think about what it comes from, right? It grows out of the out of the world. These people take it and and hand pluck it in China, and then they go and do all these different things to it, and then they deliver it over to us, and I get to see this thing bloom back into what they originally saw it as. And that kind of leads me into my next question and my last question for you, Tyler, is because I'm, I'm asking this question because I think for everybody, it's important to be knowledgeable when you speak about things. And when I'm in a conversation, even if I don't like even if it's a if it's a conversation that i know nothing about i at least like to know like one thing about it so that way i could at least say like well oh did you guys know this and then it at least shows that i'm curious and then i'm in, i'm engaged in the conversation and it also kind of just helps versi- add versatility to your arsenal mm-hmm, definitely. if i if i should say that best networking and that's could you take us a little bit through the process of making one okay. i mean like I'm, I'm sure it's very like, I have absolutely no idea how a grape turns into why I see all the time, people stomping on stuff. Uh, you know, like I see your feet get super red and pink, but I, that's as far as I know, like, and I know that you put it in a cellar and you let it sit for a little while, but for me, that's as far as the process. Is
1: yeah, right now. no. So for sure, it's, um, it's actually a remarkably simple process that, um, you first of all, obviously, it all starts in the vineyard. You pick it when it's uh, you want the sh- sugar and acid levels to be um ideal for whatever you uh, the grape you're picking. Um, say for okay. pinot, no, a- do you taste test it before? Oh, uh, yeah, that? you taste test, you can actually measure some of the sugar to a, a little bit. Um, it comes off as okay. a pretty precise science but it actually, there's still a little bit that just is kind of assumed, not necessarily understood. Um, so there is a little bit of a gamble with some of the stuff. Most people we have very highly qualified, uh, enologists, um, really smart people doing uh, really good work. And it's amazing because some of it kind of is just hoping that it catches on. Uh, you know, there's certain, uh, Uh, things and you just kind of like hope it sticks um but yeah it's like it's a it's a calculated calculated guess Uh, there actually is a it's a it's an educated guess there's some uh wine brand out there called educated guess actually uh and i've never seen a more accurate uh (laughs) name for wine so you pick the grapes hopefully at the right time or vaguely close to it uh where you want uh, obviously you taste the grapes first before you tell your vineyard crew to pick um, and then once you have them picked, you bring them in and for a white wine, you're going to press. Um, so you're going to actually crush the fruit. Uh, for reds, you do kind of, it depends on what, what, what kind of red you want to make. But say for a high extraction red, like a, um, like a Cabernet, like a Cabernet Sauvignon, you just want to get it in the tank. And essentially get it as much time on the skins as you can. So it's going to extract the color. It's going to get all the like the rich tannins, the flavor. It's uh, all come out of the, yep. the skins because that's the big difference between a red and a white. You can make red wine. Uh, you can make white wine out of red grapes, but you can't make red wine out of white grapes. Um, and then of course uh, oh, the in between okay. is um, is rosé. Uh, Rose is kind of like you started, <laughs> yeah. but then you were like, ah, oh, no, we're, it's just taking too long. No, I'm
0: <laughs> I'm a, I'm a, it.
1: Exactly. He's like, we need this tomorrow. So we got to take it out of the tank right now. Um, so, Rose is kind of doing that a little bit less, less skin contact. Um, and of course, there's different variables where you could do white wines with skin contact. Some people do that for different varietals, um, uh, big in Italy and things like that. But that's a little bit more specific. Uh, maybe we'll deal with that yeah. next episode, but um, no, we will. So I am bringing you back on. I hope you know <laughs> that. So, uh, so when you bring uh, you bring your fruit into the winery. Um, now it's off the plant. Um, you're either pressing the whites or uh, throwing the reds in your fermenter, and during that process, you're gonna have some berries that break. You're gonna have some that stay whole, etc. So that'll also mm-hmm. contribute into like the complexity of flavor.
0: We're back. Keep going. This is super interesting. I'm loving this.
1: You bring the fruit in, you essentially kind of just let it sit because wine, unlike any other kind of alcohol, like you said, tea, there's so many parallels between tasting wine and tasting tea. My boss in Australia would use it all the time as like a very uh, easy way to explain wine tasting and the importance of flavor characteristics and thinking about what you're tasting. Uh, so I'm glad you brought that up because it's actually one of the more, more perfect parallels. Oh um, hell yeah! You could, <laughs> just, when you brought up tea, I was like, "This guy knows what he's talking about." All right? <laughs>
0: I sound like I know. I'm ta- no, I'm
1: kidding. I, I know tea. Hey, that's <laughs> that's half of it is just showing up. So, <laughs> um, but so you essentially just kind of let it happen. You just let it sit because um, you got uh, just start to ferment. So the fermentation process is a little bit different. Um for for whites you do it's a lot longer. The yeast takes a lot longer to produce uh all the alcohol and it digest all the sugars. Okay. Um and then the reds uh that kind of happens a little bit quicker um usually and quick you know seven to twelve days.
0: Oh wow um, that's a lot maybe
1: is kind of is kind of what you're going for. Um with no problems. Um, so you're microbiology, turns out, plays a huge role in uh, in winemaking. So it's something that I studied nothing of in college. <laughs> and uh, kind of laughed when I saw bio for non-majors uh, in the class <laughs> offerings at Stetson. I was like, I'll never need that. Uh-uh, um, nope, never going to so, do biology, uh, but now here you if <laughs> Exactly. If there's someone out there who's trying to figure out what to do in college, take a little bit of everything, because <laughs> you might as well. Uh, I actually used my French uh, class that I took uh shout out to Melanie Stewart uh for helping me pass french uh that one <laughs> semester that I took it <laughs> at Stetson and uh, you know I that's come to handy multiple times throughout my travel and just oh, being able to, to speak a little bit of, speak a, a little bit of french has probably taken you so much farther
0: than me who knows you know bonjour je m'appelle chase merci
1: Turns out that's kind of all you need is they just need to know that you've tried. So, um, cause I don't know much more than that. Um, <laughs> but um, that's funny. Yeah. So take a little bit of everything while you can, but, um, so the fruit just kind of sits and ferments the yeast cells, um, which are either introduced. We have like dried up packets of, of like dehydrated yeast yeah. or the really popular kind of trendy hipster way to make wine is to just let the yeast cells that exist, that cover basically everything on Earth, it has some form of yeast on it. Um, and so you could just let fruit sit in a room and eventually it would ferment. That's uh, wild. Or to some extent, you know, it probably wouldn't be good, but... <laughs> or more importantly, full of alcohol. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so let's let's be honest. That's all all we want at oh, the end yeah. of the day. Um, so, cool. exactly. That's the only reason you drink. It's fine um but so the the red or white uh fruits are fermenting over uh, however long you're supposed to let them um you know it's all been done before so there's always a recipe that you can vaguely follow um so that's that's kind of nice um but so after you let it sit and ferment it's you've either eliminated the sugar or you've left some residual sugar Mm -hmm. uh, which is in the sweet wines like um, moscato's And the things that you were talking about, um, uh, you actually want to leave some reserve, some sugar left. Uh, so they call it, refer to that as RS or residual sugar. Okay. Um, otherwise a a wine is like a Pinot Noir will be considered, uh, dry. So dry is a term that measures sweetness in wine, Mm -hmm. uh, not, which is easily to get confused with the feeling that you get when you drink a, like a Cabernet or something and your mouth kind of dries out. Yeah. That's actually the tannins. Which are like a whole flavor molecule that um, occur in wine and uh, and grapes, and actually tea is a is a big, um, uh, it's a very tannic thing. Oh yeah, uh, it's kind of that woody feeling and taste. So um, you definitely understand tannins a little bit yeah, better no, than most because it,
0: it's that mouth feeling, right? Like that's how I learned what exactly what exactly. where it was like. <clears throat> Does it feel like it's still on the side of your tongues? And I'd be like. Oh, wait, I can take, like, it feels like the side of my tongues are coated. Right. And you don't even realize mm-hmm. that when you're just drinking it normally because you're just not aware of it. Right. Like exactly. a hangnail or you're picking your nose, like, yeah. you know, anything could, yeah. could be going you're just drink yeah, But when you're focused on your tongue, you're like, Oh, that, Oh, that is, that is the tannins in it. Like that is making my mouth dry. I do have cotton mouth after drinking this, or wh- I may feel super refreshed. Right. So I- I'm with you. I, I totally mm-hmm. get that.
1: Exactly. Totally- Um, so after it's, um, it's either, uh, sweet or dry, um, or somewhere in between, there's a few different French words to describe that. Um, and they use the whole spectrum mostly for sparkling wines. Um, that's the biggest consumer example that actually will tell you if it's dry or sweet. Most wines just don't even tell you if it's a sweet wine or not <laughs> on the label uh they just gotta throw it out there um you have to figure it out because if you buy a riesling off the shelf it could be sweet or it could be dry mm-hmm. um so you have to know what the region might be uh for that and you know like where it's from uh, you know, germans and and the french all have very different expressions of it um and you know it, it's pretty interesting uh um, no, I think so. How, how different it could be for just one one grape. Um, but so after you've let it ferment, you say you want a dry wine. So now your wine is is dry. So now you um essentially agitate the yeast so that way it kind of dies off and you rack it out of uh, your fermenting vessel. So that would be maybe a huge uh, 15,000 gallon tank or maybe just a a barrel, or maybe just a a water bottle. Maybe you're just doing it real small scale. I don't know. I wouldn't recommend it. Maybe do a little bit more, like a gallon jug at least. (laughs) But um, once you do that, you want to separate the wine from the dead yeast cells at the bottom, which um, we call lees in the business. So um, you want to separate the wine from the lees. In a process they call racking, which is what they use in, in beer uh, as well, and anything that requires fermentation. Mm-hmm. Um, so once you've racked away from the leaves, uh, then you have kind of a, a, a vague form of your final product. So that's where it's really exciting to be able to taste the whole way through. Um, that's been something that only working in the winery has given me such an interesting um, way to, and also an experience that I'm still looking for more, you know, I'm oh, still, yeah. I like to think I'm far away from, from figuring out what the heck's going on, <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, I'm getting closer and closer hopefully every day. Part of our journey. And one of the best ways to do it, like you said, is just to get the reps in for tasting. Mm-hmm. Uh, you gotta, you gotta get some wines in front of you and you got to taste, but, um, so once it's dry and you've separated it from the, the yeast, now you're talking, you could put it in your barrel to age on oak. Um, you could put it in stainless just to make sure it doesn't go bad. Um, you, or you could just bottle it right up and put it right there ready to go. Okay. So say for like this Pinot Noir, we would have racked it uh, into the barrel. Uh, we would have used neutral oak which means uh, an oak barrel that's been used before. Mm-hmm. So and on the inside of an oak barrel, they burn the inside. So it's all charred. And that's where the oak flavorness comes from, because it's where like the the wood has been essentially disturbed and burned on the inside. Uh, that interacts with the wine, because um, there isn't direct contact. So mm-hmm. it'll impart an oaky, kind of smoky, a little bit of burnt flavor to it, um, or... If you're really good, you know what which barrels taste like what, yeah. and you're able to like pick it out. Um, but for the sake of simplicity, let's just say here, there's one barrel. <laughs> um, so you just uh, just put it in in the barrel, and then you check the process. Um, you'll have some kind of evaporation; some actually gets absorbed into the barrel, um, and the, the neutral barrel is not really meant to impart any kind of oak flavor to the wine. Uh, it's most of the flavor has already kind of been washed away and worn away over the past uh, few couple of uses before. Okay. Um, so it'll, it'll help kind of mellow out any tannins that you might have, but it's not going to do too much flavor wise to the wine. All the changes that happen are largely due to the wine itself. Um, so as it kind of mellows out and becomes a little more smooth, less um, maybe less acidic and, um, you know, overall harsh to, yeah. to enjoy, like a very young wine, uh, which actually is something that we all have a very good experience of drinking. Uh, odds are we're drinking wine that is from like that year or or sooner. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of pretty new wine that is on the shelves, um, which especially if you get to, into wine that has a number on it, like a year, uh, sometimes they don't have numbers on them at all. Um, but if you kind of go, maybe you have to pay a little bit more for that. So maybe like $25, $20 somewhere in that range you can you can pay for a bottle with a year on it that's made from one specific vintage year um so those have either been sitting on the in the bottle for a while or they haven't so that'll kind of change the flavor um a little bit hopefully for the better that's um, <laughs> but there is such thing as waiting too long
0: uh, <laughs> okay that's I, thank you for bringing us through that because that's Super interesting how it goes from grape and being picked, right? To it starts at the grape. I mean, at the end of the day, and like you mm, said, like it really does. Besides adding in yeast, I didn't hear anything else that gets added in there. Uh, you know what I mean? Yep. And there's so many different varieties of, yeah. of wine, and it's just it's it's blowing my mind right now. I'm just I'm I'm
1: very intrigued by this. Yeah. And it, it's a, it's a very natural process.
0: It's unreal, and I mean, and, and you think about it, it's been going on for years, and someone figured this out hundreds of years ago and figured out how to get drunk off this, this stuff. And I was like, I'm here, sitting here in, you know, 2020, like, Holy crap. That is unreal. That is absolutely unreal. And I'm going to switch gears on you, Tyler, real quickly, because we're running a yep. little bit out of time. But my last question for you, it's my last question for everybody. Always. I meet you in an elevator. We got two minutes. We're going from four zero to hundred. I look at you and I'm like, damn, you look like a pretty smart, pretty wise guy. Do you have like three tips that you could share with me, just whether it be in wine, whether it be in life, and what what, regardless of what it be like, I'm struggling, I'm really struggling and I just need some help.
1: Yeah. Well, um, yeah, one would, like we were talking about with the wine and the tea is get out and try stuff, figure out what you like. Um, some people have the luxury of being able to choose to work in what they're interested in, but I think ultimately everyone can get to that point. Um, you know, sometimes you do have to just work a job just to, to, to pay the bills, Yeah. but you, um, I don't know, having done that, you know, you can do, you can just work towards your passion and, um, but it only starts when you do Like You just, you just got to start, um, don't make any excuses about stuff and just really dive in, um. I've, you don't have to do anything as extreme as moving across the, the world to, <laughs> to Australia, or even across the country, man. Like that's such a huge thing that I think people get hung up on it. Like, oh, I need this big extreme moment. Look, like, you, you don't. You have most of the tools you need, or you should hopefully by now uh, have some something um, to do. Um, but it, it's it's not hard, and if, you, and if you're struggling, reach out. That's another thing. Is reach reach out um there's bound to be someone to help uh oh, hopefully yeah. you have enough at least one person in your life that uh, that you can rely on
0: oh yeah well and people know. care enough about you to to be willing to help right yeah. like you don't always have to have to have something to offer to people just in order to make them them feel like they're going to do something for you right Ridiculous. like yeah. you can reach out to anybody i've had plenty of buddies who have flown through atlanta and i haven't talked to them in you know years yeah. and, and they're like hey man like I just kind of need a place to stay. I'm stuck in the airport. Don't really want to sleep in the airport. And it's like, say less, say less. Yeah, I'll come. I got you, man. It's a a long drive from Alpharetta down to the airport. You better run the way back, right? But like, hey, say less. I'm going to come get you because I care enough about you. For sure. Where you don't necessarily have to do something back for me just because, you know, you're doing something for me. Because I know at the same time, when you reach out to me and you have a question for me or you need some help, I'm going to be willing to help you because I'm also going to think, recall on these times when you helped me, And then also like, it's just who I, who we are as people. Right. So I, I, I'm with you on that one.
1: Yeah. Uh, Well, I worked with this one guy in the winery who was a lot older than me, but he would always say, Tyler, come on, a closed mouth won't get fed. And it doesn't, you don't need someone to necessarily do everything for you, but if you don't ask, you'll, it's always a no. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I still am working on, you know, just trying to get better and better about continuing to ask. Uh, and that's a huge part of the sales process that I learned. Um, you know, is just you got to kind of ask for the sale as well. It's oh, yeah. kind of the, the way to go for it. But it's a good point. Like, honestly, if people don't have a reason to help you it's not that they wouldn't it's just you didn't ask yep no um you just kind of expected them to know how are they supposed to read your mind they can't uh, they're no. never going
0: to like extend an offer to help when they don't need to yeah. right like because yeah. it turns out they're busy too <laughs>
1: <laughs> and they'll, you know? they'll like,
0: sacrifice their time to help you if you ask but otherwise yeah. they're going to spend that time doing something else that yeah. they enjoy right whether it's playing yeah. basketball playing yeah. video yeah. games hanging out doing you know chilling yeah. doing a po- anything, right? Like or they're working their ass off, you know, like probably, aren't we all? Uh, hopefully. <laughs> I'm, dude, I'm with you. I'm with you. And those tips were great because it's like, don't be afraid to try new things, which I think is an amazing perspective just on life. Because like you said, you moved across the world. I moved across the country. And the one thing that is similar to both of us is that we knew very, very little people to where we were going. And we just embarked on a, on a, on a journey, believing in ourselves that we we're going to be able to figure it out. Right. And like, if you have that confidence if you feel if you feel good in, about yourself and you're just willing to go out and try something new the the world is your oyster at the end of the day right like your city is only so big and your state is only so big and the east coast or the southeast or the the midwest or the the west coast is only so big but when you look at the globe on a on that perspective you're like i could do anything i could really do anything and then it's and then
1: it's, it's- also small is the thing. Oh, it's, like It's super it's, small. It's, it's, super it's small. not as big as you think it is. And I would meet people from Atlanta. Actually, this guy I met on a boat in Australia. He was born in DeLand. Like, <laughs> <laughs>
0: right where Stetson is. You know,
1: yeah, yeah. I had a Stetson poncho in the mesh pocket of my backpack and he saw it and was like, hey, did you go to Stetson? I was like, you know what Stetson is? <laughs> <laughs> and and we just became instant friends over that. And he's uh, just been a great friend. We traveled around Australia together. And, you know, it's just the world's not that big, it's it turns out. out. <laughs>
0: it's it's big when, in terms of, like, opportunities, right? Like, you can go travel, go see the world. like, And I think that's the cool thing, too, is that you went all the way around the globe, right? Like, legitimately almost as far as you could. And it only took you a day to get there. Like... When you think about it, like yeah. it's a long flight, like it's a long time to be sitting and like having to go through that. But in the grand scheme of things, like you think about a week, think about a month, mm-hmm. like what is a day? You know what I'm saying? Like, and when you put it into perspective like that, like yeah. I could go across the globe in a matter of 24 hours and the world is so big that there's a lot of opportunities, but it's also so small that the human connection is going, I'm going to find someone there who has similar interests or is in a similar situation as me because I'm not the only one going through this.
1: I, I can't yeah. be. And you're. You're going to connect in some way. Hope, like, at some point, it'll work. It happens. It will. It, it's, it's, you got to keep putting yourself out there.
0: Exactly. It's, it's absolutely inevitable. Absolutely. And Tyler, I, I hate to do this to you. I have to hop on another um, call in the next couple minutes. But, dude, thank you so much for coming on. Like, this was so much fun. I had a blast, and I hope you did too, minus our technical difficulties. Like, this was so much fun. I got to drink wine with you. I got yeah. to catch up with you, like, hear about your journey. And this is, this has been awesome. So many people are going to be so excited to hear about this. Like, this is,
1: yeah. I'm pumped. I'm super. Dude, pumped. I appreciate the opportunity. It's been really nice to to just get to share. Of and course, I, I don't get to do it too often, so it's really appreciated.
0: Oh no doubt, man. And like I said, I'm going to bring you back on. Um, and as a follow up to sure. this, after we do the production, we make it sound all pretty and make us sound like, yeah. you no, know, we are we're Justin Bieber. Um, I'll <laughs> shoot you the episode before we actually yeah, be so that way you can get a sneak peek and then. Once we go live, you'll have all the links so that way you can share it with your friends, your family, yeah. your, your wine buddies, all that fun stuff.
1: Hell yeah, dude. Well, and let me know if you're uh, ever in Northern California or if you feel like becoming in Northern California, just come on down, man. Like, you, you got a place to, to crash with me. If you're down this, summer. Um, you can put whatever that over again. All right, sweet, yeah, because uh, we get some sweet perks with the job, and I don't ever get to take as much advantage of them as I should. Fuck yeah. Uh, so, yeah, you won't have to worry about uh, buying any wine. Oh, my <laughs>
0: man. I'm so. In, I'm, I'm
1: in, the, in the summer, summertime,
0: that's a that's a must. definitely.
1: Well, I would say come like early fall if you can, because oh. yeah. then you can see the grapes and everything. That's it. And I don't, I don't know if I'm going to hop back in the cellar or not. I probably won't, but never say never. Um, <laughs> I'll come both times. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a, it's, it was a totally different experience every time so.
0: well and if you ever want to come up here bro hit me up
1: i um, definitely we got it we got some tasting to do up north i've i've been neglecting my on um, pacific northwest tasting Dude, so i'm looking just, forward to getting some knowledge thanks
0: for tuning in if you like the show make sure to leave us a review Go ahead and check us out on Twitter and Instagram at underscore millennial way and check out our website at it'smillennialtalk.com where there's new blog posts and updates. We will see you next Winning Wednesday. Go grab those dubs. This is the Millennial Way, tailoring the next generation of leaders.